You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm here on the uh, Skype line and in the office in the studio with my good friend Cam Robinson from Munster, Indiana. Did I get that right, Cam? You got it right, Gary. You got it right. I, I was just going back and <laughs> editing that one where I was. You know, we were teasing about all the horrible drivers from Illinois. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got that up yet, but I, I, I can hardly wait to put that up. And Ben Ellickson up there hears it because he's got no. Hey, bastard! And even from Chicago, he got him on this show. <laughs> yeah, really. and, we're, and we're denigrating Illinois drivers. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> So anyhow, actually, I talked to Cam yesterday about uh, coming up there, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, folks, we're going to try to make a trip up to Chicago and meet with Cam and, and get on up into town and hit some mob sites and do some video at some mob sites. I've uh, talked to Mike Byrne of the, uh, um, what's the name of that Facebook page? The Chicago Outfit Old and New article, News Articles. Right, with uh, it's Chicago Outfit Old and news stories i believe yeah but it's, you just go look at the chicago outfit facebook pages it's a really good one folks uh mike really does a good job with that and uh i've talked to frank calabrese jr and told him i want to take his mob tour when i go up and meet up with him uh mike mentioned we could maybe uh just all bunch of people show up at this maybe the luna restaurant which uh is a place that has a mob history and there's been a couple others uh suggested to me the loon and uh, all of a sudden, I forgot the other one. Rika Benny's was uh, Rika, Rika Benny's Rika. was one of the places, right? Yeah, that Rika would be. Rika Benny's, you suggested yeah. Rika Benny's. So we just got to figure out uh, uh, what would be the better place to go and meet up and just you know shoot the shit, and eat some pizza, or have some drinks and and talk. And I don't really want to put on a program. I just wouldn't mind meeting some people in Chicago. I know it's Mike McCollum, who I don't know very well yet. He's a former Hell's Angels and lives in the suburbs of Chicago and working on a, his own book. Uh, he said he really he wants to jump on his bike and I'm going to take my bike up and go around to the different mob sites with me and he'll be my back guard or back up he'll be my bodyguard <laughs> that's right mob sites. anybody wants to mess with me they got to go through my man first <laughs> <laughs> I got a real mobster right moving right along we're going to start talking about the pizza connection this is going to be the first of a multi-episode series on the pizza connection i got into this with this book let me find that book here it is the last days of the sicilians last days of the sicilians, sicilians yeah folks. Uh, that was that was one of two books that came out and that was that thing's really great well reviewed i mean that's that's considered the top book right. on the, it was, on the it was subject written by ralph blumenthal who was a uh, reporter for the new york times and and I tell you what, after reading that book, they must have they must have opened up all their files and sat and talked with him and really opened up with him. It, it was pretty amazing what the detail that he went into in that thing. Now the other books by this uh, some kind of an editorial writer named Shana Alexander, and I think it, yeah, and she did not have the access. But this is a hell of a book. Uh, if you're interested, in, and this is a really interesting, complex, uh, fascinating case uh, of, of mob, the mafia and narcotics and transnational uh, crime families working together uh, you know, from South America to, to uh, Sicily to Turkey to uh, New York City to Pennsylvania, rural Illinois. I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Basically, five five continents. I mean, because they had they had presidents pre presidents in Asia, North right. and South America, Europe, Africa. I mean, that's that, it, it was yeah. en enormous what they what they were doing. Once, uh, I had a, a class late in my career as a policeman by a futurist, and he talked about what the future of organized crime was going to be back then, and and Sicilian mafia was still somewhat of a a, a thing. Uh, but uh, this guy said, no, he said, that's done. Uh, he said, it's the transnational gangs. It's going to be the uh, the Russians, particularly, 
uh, he, he didn't really realize mm-hmm. uh, how the Sicilians would then move into transnational, transnational uh, right. crime. And, and I think maybe uh, this pizza connection kind of knocked a lot of them out because uh, we're going to talk about what happened over in Sicily. They had a trial with like 500 defendants. They built a special prison yeah. around, around the, trial. the uh, courthouse. And then they just bring the prisoners in and, and hold them in holding cells that they could see, you know, like that's how they attended their trial. And, and they would hoot and holler and uh, create problems. And, uh, you see them throwing yeah. up the hand gestures and screaming, and yeah, it looks like Thanksgiving dinner at my mother's with my mother's <laughs> family. The, the Caribbean <laughs> and uh, the uh, famous uh, anti, the big mafia fighter uh, Giovanni <laughs> Falcone, uh, who ended up getting killed for his trouble, uh, they really, they really put a hurt on them over there in Sicily. Uh, so, but here we're going to start out today. This will be the first one. Uh, I call this the Pizza Connection, the beginnings. And let's just go back a little bit. The Sicilian Mafia, you know, it goes clear back to the 1800s. And I've talked about this before with with other people. Other experts have filled me in on this. It really was formed to protect uh, the local people on the island of Sicily from the central government in Rome, who who were absentee landlords and, and kind of had uh, uh, screwed over the people, the, the peasants down there. and Plus, uh, you know, Sicily has been invaded and dominated by how many different countries, a bunch of them around the Mediterranean over the years. Uh, yeah, yeah, through the years, everybody had, yeah, absolutely. So in, the, in the country, in the rural areas particularly, but all over, the, even in the Palermo, the bigger cities, uh, they have created this almost like a shadow government that is going to protect the people, but... They, they also, as a shadow government, they also uh, kind of feathered their own nest all along the way. And in later years after World War II, they, uh, uh, they didn't have any central government really to be afraid of, particularly, that was going to rip. Yeah, they didn't really have central government until about the, the turn of the 20th century, which is, I think, why you see all those groups in Italy, is, is there was no, uh, until basically a little bit before Mussolini, when the first, uh, it was I, in the, around the, the turn of the 20th century, that's why you've got the, the Neapolitans consider themselves a separate nation, and you, know, you go to Italy, and they say, well, I'm, I'm from Florence, or I'm from here. They, they're not, they don't consider, they consider themselves Italian second, I guess they had to get used to that uh, that individual government on their own, which is kind of bears up to what you're saying. No, that is interesting. I didn't really think about it quite about that. That the city states that they had all the way back to the Middle Ages, uh, yeah, were they weren't ident- identified more with that city state, yeah, v- uh, Venice or Rome or or uh, 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 Naples or yeah. whatever, you identify more than Sicily, you identify as a Sicilian rather than an Italian. So that's, I never thought about that. And so, you know, there's a, a pretty interesting story about Mussolini. Mussolini is the one guy that, that put the, kind of put the clamps down on the mafia. But, you know, it, <laughs> it takes a, a, a fascist dictator to do anything like that. Uh, If anybody's going to shut them down. In this country, we have huge problems with crime because we don't have a fascist dictator that's willing to to do what needs to be done. Now, you, (laughs) I I told this young policeman once he was complaining about some of the legal restrictions on cops, and I said, "Dude, if you guys could all do everything you wanted to do without any repercussions, you'd be wearing black." leather boots up your knees and wearing swastikas running around here and, and, and uh, uh, ruling dominating yeah, people. That's, you know, that's just the nature of men. We need those controls. <laughs> Law enforcement authority figures needs those controls. <laughs> yeah, that self-restraint just will only <laughs> yeah. just go so far in absolute yeah, power, uh, you know? Absolute power. Power corrupts absolutely in the end. But anyhow, Sicily, uh, this story, kind of interesting story. Uh, Mussolini visited Sicily in 1924, and he passed through this one t- little town of Piana de Greci. Would that be how you pronounce that? G-R-E-C-I? Piana de Gre- Greci. Greci. Okay. It'd be a, like a C-H. And you know, he was received by the local mayor, who was also the mob boss, or the mafia boss, which is kind of the way it was in those times. Uh, the, the, the city government and the mafia basically were all the same thing. He was the top politician in the town. Mm-hmm. He noticed the mayor, his name was Cuccia, he noticed that Mussolini had a big military escort and a lot of bodyguards, and they say he's whispered into Mussolini's ear, you're with me, you know, you're under my protection. 
You don't really need all these cops, you know. Nobody's going to hurt you as long as I'm around. Mussolini didn't really like that and rejected his this offer of protection. And the mayor kind of felt slighted and, and he was humiliated at the rejection by Mussolini. So he told all his people, just stay at home when uh, El Duce makes a speech. And of course, when nobody shows up for El Duce's speech, Mussolini's humiliated and he wants to get back. And and they say that's the that was the spark that started Mussolini's war on the mafia. And, and boy, he, he went after him. He granted special powers to all the police just to fight the mafia. He, he appointed uh, one of his uh, fascist supporters, a guy named Cesare Mori, to uh, uh, recruit a small army, they say, of, of Carabini and uh, militia officers. And, and they said they just went out in the countryside, rounded up anybody they thought might be a mafia member. And if they couldn't find them, but they had a name, they'd snatch the guy's relatives and hold them hostage, take their property, sell it, kill their livestock. They did that for three years straight mm -hmm. up to around World War II when it got started. They said they detained over a thousand suspects. They used torture to extract confessions. Some of the mafioso are complying with them, figuring that, you know, they'll get in with them and, and they'll give up some of their buddies and... and you know, it, it was bad. I think, and I think we need to clarify, a lot of people think, oh, well, they're just criminals. But I mean, it, they weren't, in the old world, they weren't so much criminals per se. They were just sort of the, the local, I mean, it was corrupt, but they were also looking out for the people out in the country. That was the only law they had, and Mussolini wanted full control, and he didn't, like you said, he didn't like that anybody else had control. So these weren't like international drug runners back then. They were doing little criminal things, but, you know, he, he was just rounding up everybody, and it was, <laughs> it was a bad time to be Sicilian. And, and historically, <laughs> they've been smugglers. They, they smuggled, smuggled cigarettes, yeah. they smuggled all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it's on island. island and, and all that sea access, yeah. so they've been uh, smugglers uh, for a long time, but, and just to avoid taxes. Of course, you know, government doesn't like you, like yeah. you avoid taxes. Now, in this country, when you do that, uh, they file a civil suit against you and, and, and attach your bank account or put a lien on your house or something. They don't <laughs> clap you in jail and torture you. Torture, torture your, family. your family. and kill off your livestock because you cheated them out of some taxes. <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, uh, it was quite a time for the mafia. And then after the war, it was Katie Barr the door. After wondering, you know, wasn't... Uh, Lucky Luciano was over there during the war. He must have laid low and stayed, and, and Vito Genovese was over there during the war, too. They must have well, really laid low. Genovese had a, had, a, had a relationship with Mussolini. You know, this is oh, when, when a lot of the southern Italians were coming over, and, and the, the, the Sicilians just mixed in with all the other, like my family's southern Italian, and they came through Ellis Island. Well, this is just a lot of the mafia, so there were a ton of Italians coming over anyway. There were a ton of everybody, Irish and everybody. And the uh, the mafiosi just came in with them, but then you know, like you said, Luciano got deported, so he was over there, sort of laying low, and and that was when uh, Genovese was over there too, and Genovese ingratiated himself with Mussolini. There was a anti-fascist uh, uh, journalist named um, Carmine Tresca. And Carmine Tresca was in America. He was writing a bunch of anti-fascist newspapers and for all the Italians in America, talking about down with Mussolini, we've got to support the anti-fascist effort. In order to get sort of a pass, Genovese told Mussolini he could have Carmine Tresca killed. And it was, it was uh, your buddy Carmine Galente, who is known for having killed Carmine Tresca back, uh, it was in the, I think it was the would have been the 30s or the or early 40s. I can't remember the year, but he was a very famous anti-fascist journalist. And that was how Genovese sort of got a pass to do a lot of, lot of things. Not only that, Genovese eventually allied himself with the, with, with the allies in the, in the local war, but he was safe for the time being because he, he did this, this assassination for Mussolini. Oh, yeah. I, I bet when the allies moved up Sicily, I bet all those mob guys all of a sudden were their best buddy. <laughs> and, and, and as, right. as the Allies would have moved up from Sicily up the boot uh, in the regular part of Italy, the, the, the main part of Italy, they would be arresting and, and knocking out local government officials and any policemen that might have been, uh, 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 you know, fascist. And, 
and, and these mob guys are primed. They're ready. Okay, you know. <laughs> and they would have got a big boost out of that, That's I would right. imagine. Absolutely. Now, I did read that uh, there were some, some positive rate. Uh, there were some positive results out of this war on the Sicilian Mafia by El Duce. Uh, the murder rate sharply declined, and landowners <laughs> actually did a little bit better because they uh, uh, they were able to raise the rents on their land. Had been the the rents had been held to an artificially low amount by the mafia. The mafia controlled the countryside, and and the landowners. Uh, were not allowed to charge quite as much rent as they'd like to. Which, that's you know, that's they were interesting. Taking care, of the, taking care of the peasants over the, the landowners, it sounds to me like. But, yeah. Uh, so landowners did a little better when Mussolini was in, in power. You know, and that did, uh, I have a, a friend here in Kansas City, and he said his dad uh, was Italian, of course, and, and his dad was would go around and pass out pamphlets to different people over in the Italian section as, that were like uh, uh, puff pieces or promotion of Mussolini and what a good guy he was and things like that. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of that before. Where that, And this is, of course, before the war. This was in yeah. the late 30s. And, and, and so Mussolini himself had, you know, this guy, one guy, he's over here in the United States writing articles against Mussolini, but he also had people putting yeah. out money over to the United States trying to get the support of the uh, uh, Italians uh, in, in America. Yeah, and, and Il Duce was popular in the beginning, so... Yeah, he was. He made things better. He made the trains run on time, as they say. That's right. They still don't do that in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was during this time that the Rizzuto family... Uh, Nicolo and Vito Rizzuto came to Montreal from uh, from Sicily, and Carlo Gambino and Joe Bonanno came to New York City from Sicily, trying to get away from this purge. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they would have come right in the in the twenties, and yeah, Nicolo Rizzuto probably his family would have fled around the twenties also. And yeah, Carmine Galente, I think his family came over here during this time. I don't know if they but, yeah, and they were all from this one particular area primarily. It's uh, Castellamare de Golfo. Right. Uh, thank you for the help with that. And have to put on my butcher's apron to say that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and they formed these lifelong connections and, and friendships, even like uh, uh, this one guy that came over, Bonaventre. He got connected up with uh, Joseph Proface. He, he was actually his uncle. And his daughter will marry Bill Bonanno, Proface's daughter, Carmine Galente. Moves in when it gets to know Bonaventre, and when uh, when he's looking for Sicilians to come over and work for him, what they become, would call Zips, this uh, Giovanni Bonaventre's yeah. son, Cesare Bonaventre, would be one of his bodyguards. So it was like these little, these small town connections that everybody knew each other, and and they're sort yeah. of surely coming to the United States, and and they had to come through a lot of these problems over in in Sicily. But then when you got you got those kinds of connections yeah. that go way back and intermarriage in the family and everything, you get a lot more loyalty out of somebody. You're not so worried about them turning on you. And- Absolutely. I was reading recently about a, a, an L.A. mob boss in the 20s who was dealing with a guy from Kansas City and another guy from just, just all over the country, but just going to the same point, how they all immediately came over here, and before Luciano got everybody together, they all knew each other, and they were all building toward that direction. You know, just, I guess if you, you know, if you moved to China, you would know everybody from Kansas City in that, in that area pretty quickly. Yeah, Because really. you were in an expat community. They say that during the 30s, even Mussolini couldn't stop the smuggling. You know, like you said, it was, uh, it's an island. So there's a, there's a lot of ways to smuggle stuff. And yeah. they had a long history, and they were smuggling opium from the Mideast back in those days and through Europe to Cuba and Mexico for the American mafia families. And, and even Mussolini couldn't stop that. Prohibition gets over, and, and the American mob is looking for new sources of income and gambling's kind of getting started but back in the 30s after prohibition everybody gets into narcotics every crime family we have our local mob family mm-hmm. would come uh, yeah the brother to our local mob boss they have him buying heroin or selling heroin in 1935 in a small amount of heroin but and they had a i have a, a podcast with uh, where we interviewed bill owsley about the whole history of heroin we had quite a Quite a heroin yeah. distribution uh, ring here in Kansas City, and they had it in all the major cities. And 
east from Kansas City East. And Luciano's first arrest was for heroin. Right. And so there's a lot of money to be made in that. It all came in through Cuba uh, after they smuggled it out of the, the Mideast. And, you know, it's been around a long, long time. Now, this is before the war. Now, World War II happens. You know what happens in World War II in Europe, in the Mediterranean. Everything stops. Uh-huh. Everything stops. If you don't have a gunboat, yeah. if you don't have a destroyer or an aircraft carrier, everybody's fighting the war. It's the same way in the United States. Yeah. I mean, crime kind of went on the down low. There's no you know, small crime, but but everybody stopped and, and went into the war after. In the same way in Italy and Sicily and all around the Mediterranean, plus there was military everywhere. But, you know, right after the war... There's, these guys are ready. Uh, yeah, and you have a whole, you have all the soldiers over there. You've got all the supplies. I mean, that, that's what Genovese was teaming up with the local mafia over there, and you've got, you've got everything. And, and the thing, and the big thing that developed, I'm you know, trying to show that they mm-hmm. talk about the history of how this developed into this, what would become the pizza connection and, and resurgence of this heroin thing is the big thing that developed right after the war was smuggling cigarettes. I, I, cigarettes, you know, oh, yeah. wherever, the, wherever there's addiction, the mafia is going to be there because there's so much money to be made yeah. in it, whether it's gambling or sex or, or, or drugs or alcohol, whatever. The mob's going to be in there. Be in there. So they started smuggling cigarettes. They'd go like these military bases. They'd have, you know, tons and tons and yeah. tons of lucky strikes and camels and American cigarettes, and, yeah. And, uh, of course, you can always find a corrupt GI, a, a supply sergeant, yep. and buy the cases and cases <laughs> of cigarettes because they it just, I, I knew a mob guy yep. who told me about his scams he ran uh, during and right after the war. He was like a, uh, he ran a, uh, a snack shop on a ship that was going back and forth across the Atlantic with supplies and and bringing troops home, taking supplies over, and bringing troops home right at the end of the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, right, had, uh, he right. had a scam going, boy. He he ran the snack shop, and and you know he he would charge, <laughs> you know he'd make payday loans and uh, you know what do you call those loan shark loans to guys and uh, run the gambling games on the ship. But uh, he had quite a little racket going. I knew somebody. She was non-mafia and she had a raggy going when she was running guard duty she would uh she'd basically set up you know basically a hooch she would like set aside a room and if people wanted to 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 use it you know men and men and women soldiers wanted to wanted to use it could sneak away she would charge she would charge them for the privilege to uh sneak away into this room while she was on guard duty i mean so there's always there's always an opportunity in the military she had a, a matchmaking service too. I think is a is a political way of putting it. So you know what you got all these cigarettes and, and, and they're smuggling them all over the Aegean. They'll, they'll get them out of maybe France or of a base in Italy, and they want to take them over to Albania or to Greece or or Turkey and and uh, maybe on over to Spain. Uh, anything along the Aegean. That's that's where the term cigarette boats come from. You know, they got these real fast. Long skinny boats or cigarette they call huh. them cigarette boats, not because That's right. they look like a cigarette, because they used to smoke yeah. cigarettes in them. They were too fast for the the uh, the, the the taxing police. Uh, the <laughs> Italians had this this taxing tax police that were <laughs> supposed to you know uh, collect duties and or enforce the collection of duties and uh, taxes on imports and exports at the borders. And of course, that was you know these guys have been doing that going around those things for. You know, a hundred years or several hundred years by now. So yeah, yeah, they had to practice. By the fifties, heroin's starting to get popular again, and all the GIs are back, and and people are making money in the United States. And, uh, heroin's starting to get get it regain its popularity after all that. You know, n- nothing could come in. There probably wasn't any heroin to speak of coming in during World War II. It was just too dangerous to try to take anything around and. Yeah. Uh, so heroin's getting popular, and uh, and American mobs, families are setting up these connections with their Sicilian buddies. Look at Lucky Luciano's already set a bunch of them up, and with a meeting in in what was it late nineteen forties, I think it, he had one meeting uh, down in Havana. Down Havana, yeah. When they talked about a couple. American mob just keeps operating under this fiction they don't deal in heroin they don't deal in narcotics but on one hand but on the other hand yeah right certain ones that do and and they never ever quit and the yeah uh, the uh, gambino family and the banano family 
were the two main ones, and they've dealt in heroin all the way through. Probably Gambino's right. still dealing in it today. Yeah, I think I think you're right. The Bananos are still oh, and Gambino still for sure. See, they're ran, it's, it, yeah, Gam, yeah, they're Gambinos too. Absolutely, guys were zips. They're run by the Sicilians. The Sicilians the now. They, yeah. they didn't get hurt so bad out of the pizza That's right. It was a banana Sicilian cruise that, that got hurt so bad out of the pizza connection. Gambino's kind of slicked on through. Then during the 50s, the United States, we start seeing you know, how we are. We see a problem. We start seeing all this heroin and morphine and, and this tendon social problems showing up. Well, they pass a mm-hmm. Narcotics Control Act, which uh, gives long sentences, draconian sentences for... Uh, that was in 1956. That's right. And, and, it interest, and in 1957, yeah. that's when they had the Appalachian meeting and they came out with this rule, you're not supposed to deal in narcotics because they saw the danger in that, man. you can. I tell you what, I saw this. When, when we had the new crack cocaine laws, the kingpin laws in the 80s and 90s, Man, you can make a, you can get a guy to tell on his mama when you're looking at a, at a 30-year-old guy getting 50 or 60 years in the penitentiary for being a drug dealer. You know, they Illinois always had really, really strict, uh, strict drug laws here, even predating the, the the 56 Narcotics Control Act, and they were really strongly enforced. And I think if you look at a lot of the history of the the, the outfit, heroin just didn't play a big role because. There were mandatory minimum sentences, and in Illinois, that was one thing that that Illinois was really was really keen on was was really enforcing the drug sentences. Going back to going back to the I want to say it was 1938, I think that it first that it first went into effect. But they were really they were really strict on the on the on the heroin enforcement. So it's during this time that, uh, as I mentioned, these two families, the Bonanno and the Gambino family, they, they kind of see an opportunity. And it was 1956, Carmine Galente is found up in Canada doing crime and connected with the, uh, actually that was uh, the Brogadas, uh, it was not, it was before the Rizzutos took over and the Sicilian mob took over in, in uh, Montreal. Mm-hmm. And he's he's up there, got action going and, and I'm sure he was setting up those supply routes from the Mideast uh, through yeah. the Mediterranean Sea to Montreal, and then down through upstate New York to New York. I'm sure that's what he's doing. He gets deported from Canada, and, and then we come up with the, you know, the fiction. They create the fiction in 1957 that oh, the mafia doesn't deal in narcotics. <laughs> right. In 1960s, the McClellan Commission, and it was really looking into labor racketeering, but also organized crime in America. Uh, they heard a lot of testimony about American mobsters being involved in uh, uh, narcotics, but uh, and one of them that uh, testimony was concerning was Lucky Luciano, who was still in exile in Sicily. You know, if you remember, he had he had uh, agreed to help the government, the military protect the waterfronts. His old nemesis, the uh, prosecutor Thomas Dewey, agreed that he could then be. Uh, Exiled or deported to Sicily, and had to, but he couldn't come yeah. back, and and he wanted to, yeah, he wanted to come back in the worst way, man. That was like 1946, and so uh, 47. I can't remember the exact date that that he got that, but it was after the war. And so by 1957, they're making these connections up. There's a big meeting at at Palermo where several American mob members went to a Grand Hel- Grand Hotel des Palmas. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, you uh, Tommaso Bruschetta was one that told us a little bit about that. Do you remember anything that he? Remember what Bruschetta said? The the little bit that's 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 come out about that. There was, I guess, Joe Bonanno was there, and Luciano was there, and uh, Galente was there, and uh, uh, Lamente, who you've been you've done a lot of work on recently, and that was where they started to initially set up some of the some of the trade routes that they were gonna they were gonna establish basically from what was it from Turkey is where the heroin was was, was produced and then they'd ship it through Marseille and France where it would be yeah where it would be, would be processed and then back to uh, Canada in the Saint, the uh, Saint Lawrence Ri- Lawrence River and uh, so that was the original heroin route the that was the, the french connection prior right. to the pizza and, and actually some of that because there's french people involved french had this big uh, uh presence in southeast asia and in, in uh, vietnam mm-hmm. and they were yeah. bringing uh 
white heroin out of the uh, Golden Triangle over there. The Golden uh, Triangle. So that was part of it, too. When France lost uh, Vietnam and moved out of Vietnam, then a lot of that dried up because of that also. Plus, uh, uh, Americans started getting their own connections over there because of all of our soldiers over there. If you remember, we had these soldiers that were making deals with local uh, warlords to uh, get kilos of hair, white hair yeah. and uh, put in body bags of uh, dead soldiers and bring them back. So uh, that's a whole other story there, man. It's kind of interesting, though, like like you just said. I mean, the the French monsters uh, already initially had had uh, uh, deals to bring heroin over from from the, the Golden Triangle over in Asia. That closes down when France is is out of Vietnam, basically at the end of the fifties, which is about the same time. Fifty seven right. is when this meeting takes place. So fifty seven, fifty eight is when they decide. Well, this old heroin route is closing down. So we need to set something else up new. So that's where they sort of established this route from Turkey to Marseille to Canada. It just, it's how the, the criminal world evolves the, based on the political situation. That France is leaving, uh, France was leaving Vietnam. So they moved into, so we'll grow our heroin in Turkey. And then we'll, it was, it was just, it's incredible how adaptive these guys are. Really, that's great insight. I didn't quite put that together, but that's that's great. And Am, I mentioned Tommaso Bruchetta, and I didn't really say who he was. Well, everybody knows these other names, and you're going to get to learn. You're going to learn a lot more about Tommaso yeah. Bruchetta. There's a movie coming out called The Traitor. Uh, it's uh, actually Italian made. It's going to have uh, subtitles, and they say it's really yeah. good. Real good documentary on uh, on Netflix right and, now, and on uh, YouTube too. Yeah, but. Uh, and there's Tommaso Bruchetta. Yeah. So look, look that up. Yeah, he was the first, but just a real quick, he was the first Italian mafiosi, Sicilian mafiosi, whoever ever informed. And he was a really high-ranking figure. So that, that'll sort of give you some context before we, we do an episode on him in the future. But he was the first high-ranking Sicilian mafiosi who informed, and he his business was international. He was right up to his elbows in this heroin shipping, and he really brought a lot of lot of uh, things so, down yeah, when, in the when 80s when he informed. Right, right. We're going to do a whole show on on Tommaso because he's a pretty important character. Yeah, right? absolutely. He, he tells when he when he turns and starts testifying more up in the uh, 80s. He tells a story here that back in those days in 1957, that's when Joe Bonanno and Carlo Gambino and Carmine Galente came over, they did, they had kind of a summit, a little mini-summit with Sicilians, and they said that Bonanno, Bruschetta later claimed that Joe Bonanno advised the Sicilians they need to form a commission like they have in New York to settle disputes because they're always fighting with each other. And, you know, you, you can't make any money yeah. when you're trying to kill each other off, but you know, they, these are men of honor. It's different over there. It's, we'll talk more about that, but it's totally different over there than it is over here, this men of honor thing. Like what you said with Mussolini. I mean, Mussolini stepped on that guy's toes, and that guy felt, and so that guy stepped on Mussolini's toes, and then you've got the whole mob shut down so over some Mussolini hurt feelings. Stepped back with a big you know? boot. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, uh, yeah. That was just over some, just over some honor crazy. bullshit. And you'll really find out how crazy it gets when we start talking about Bruschetta and what happened to him and his family over that. But according to Bruschetta, uh, this was in a private room at the Spano Seafood Restaurant in uh, Palermo. Lucky Luciano was there. Of course, he has to live in Italy by this time, and uh, he hosts the meeting. And he recognized Joe Bonanno and, and Carmine Galente. Uh, there were some other people from uh, the United States there, and, and, and then all the major mafia bosses in Sicily. And, and the most important one, I won't bore you with all these names because you've never heard of them, but the most important ones were uh, Gaetano Badalamente and Tommaso Bruschetta. And I think this uh, Filippo and Vincenzo Rimi. Uh, but and then there were several others. Yeah, those are the, the big dogs, Luciano and, and Bonanno and Galente, who we know from this side. And then over there, the Badalamente and Bruschetta, who are the big uh, the big figures we're going to get into. Really? Uh, and uh, actually, Italian police... Uh, wiretapped that and, and sent a, a report to uh, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in Washington. And I have to add, Bill Owsley, my FBI agent friend, that a lot of mob research says, you really want to research the mob prior to Appalachian 
Anslinger. Go after, Anslinger's go organization. After the Federal Bureau of Narcotics Records and this Harry Anslinger. They really went, they, went after him. That book, that Who's Who that came out in the fifties. I don't know if you've seen I it. Haven't. It was it was issued prior to Appalachian, yeah. and it's a, basically a picture book. And it's you know it's 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 almost like a mug a book of mugshots, and it's a list of every. Every mobster, everything going back to uh, between 1920 and the 1950s, I think. Uh, You can get it on Amazon. I've got an order. I've got one reserved. I think I need to get it. But it's got pictures and it's got sort of a breakdown, their their rap sheet. And it was put together by Anslinger's people because uh, Hoover's Hoover's people weren't doing anything with, with the mafia. It didn't exist at the time. And so Anslinger was sending people over there and and checking out their trade routes, and he had people undercover in in Italy and in Turkey, looking to see, you know. He, so he had this this scoped, and there's a real thick book you can get. I'll look it up and I'll I'll send it. Maybe we can we can uh, post a picture of it or, or, or something. Yeah. So is at this meeting, we're pretty sure Joe Bonanno and Carmine Galente. Uh, and Carlo Gambino would have met Gatano Balamente and Tommaso Buscetta and, and really the seeds for what would become the Pete's Connection Heron distribu- distribution ring were planted. Bonanno was still, he, he'd already assigned Carmine Galente to connect with uh, the Cotroni family up in Montreal. I couldn't think of that earlier when I uh, said Carmine Galente was right. up in, in Montreal, but it was a Cotroni family. And, and he'd already set up a distribution like you said, the French Connection distribution through Montreal down to New York City, which was the French Connection case. Nicolo and Vito Rizzuto, who have come over here from Sicily a long time back, you know, when when Mussolini was was putting them all in jail, and they end up in a mob battle with Catroni family, and they end up taking over, but they just take over all the the heroin route and all the the, the, the yeah. those connections and continue right on. and And they really work closely, if you remember, they. Uh, Rizzuto ends up going to jail for helping uh, Joe Messina uh, uh, with a, with yeah. a hit out of the Bonanno family, and so uh, they they really are uh, closely uh, closely connected. They're up to their eyeballs in heroin distribution during this time. That's a, that's exactly right. The the Madanos have always that's always been there, and, and that was they were considered basically the wealthiest family, and and a lot of people complained about Joe Bonanno setting up his flags. They said everywhere, uh, up in Montreal and all and in California, but it was basically because he was building his heroin his heroin network, and the reason he had uh, they they weren't maybe necessarily the the in size wise largest, but they were absolutely the wealthiest family because it was it was heroin everywhere it was it was heroin was their key money maker and, and you read joe bonanno's book and he you know i don't know anything about it but heroin was was the bonanno mainstay all along they're saying in 1957 they're saying we're not dealing right. narcotics we're not dealing not dealing narcotics but that's when they started developing this little subterfuge of using these sicilians using other people to handle a lot of this yeah. stuff and, and so it, and and when they get popped you know why they don't really can't connect them back directly and can't say that's part of the family. And nobody was a, a storyteller back then. Uh, Joe Bellacci, but he didn't know enough yeah. uh, to, to connect these dots up. He knew he knew there was connections up to, to uh, Canada, but he didn't really know enough about that to tell anybody. Yeah. But nobody was talking, and, and they had these extra people, people who weren't really made guys or maybe from Sicily or doing all this narcotics business. and. And historically, they primarily have brought it in to New York City, and then it goes out to the black community because primarily in most big cities, uh, heroin is the black drug. Heroin is the drug of choice for black folks. Uh, heroin's not particular; it's not really the drug of choice for white folks. That would be more marijuana and higher end that get into the cocaine and and pills and things like that. Some different kinds of, of pills, but. Uh, but heroin was always huge in the black community, so that's uh, that was their routes, and that's what they did. They had this all set up uh, by the '60s. They're, they're, they've got these routes rolling and running and gunning with them. Now in Sicily, we got some problems during this time. They have the first of three major Sicilian mafia wars. Now these guys, they formed a commission 
But right after they formed our commission, yeah, it blows. Yeah, up. and that was Luciano yeah. went over there and tried to help them say, "Look, guys, you know, you not can't make any money like you just said, Gary. You can't make any money if you're killing each other." But it didn't. Uh, it didn't seem to stick with the uh, Sicilians. Now, now, just a little uh, background on the the guy we're going to be talking a lot more about, and the one who ends up being the the main stick on the uh, uh, Pizza Connections. It's this Gaetano Barlamente, and we also will learn more about him because I have a guy that we're going to interview on the podcast who was in the penitentiary with Barlamente after he fell on the Pizza Connection. He can tell us a little more personal stuff about about this guy, but he he was uh, he was a big time mafia boss. He started out, of course, as as the underboss or the the helper to a guy named Cesar Manzella uh, from a small town called Sinisi. Uh, Sicily. I wonder where that is. C I N I S I. Uh, check my map. It's probably somewhere around that Castellamarese del Golfo. Yeah. But anyhow, that in, in, in that town, uh, in Sinisi, there was an airport in that town, and and they used that. It's it's up by yeah, it's right up by Palermo. It's on the little there's a little outcropping, okay. so it's up by Palermo. Okay, that that's what I thought. Almost like a suburb. Of yes. Palermo, probably. Yes. There was this huge battle at this point in time, and they couldn't get it settled by their new commission. It was some missing heroin, and nobody would take credit for it. Nobody would own up to it, and, uh, you know, somebody feels disrespected out of this. And, and in this first mafia war, they start killing each other off. And as it happens, between these two families, uh, the Greco and, and uh, Manzella family, which is Badalamente family, as they're killing each other off, Later on, it comes out that uh, actually somebody stole this heroin was somebody from one of the other families who wanted to take down everybody. <laughs> so he pitted them against each other. A guy named uh, Michelle Cavatillo. So I, I don't and they know. had a they basically had a meeting right where they, they they had a meeting with the commission. The commission decided, well, you know, it's it, you know, there's there's two people. It's going to be it's going to be, you know, the commission made a ruling. And they didn't like the ruling, so they still went to war, basically, right? Whereas, right. Yeah, you know, you're right, you're right. the, the Italian, the think about the American mafia. You hear about sit downs. If there's a dispute, you know, the sit down is a pretty is a pretty important thing. I, I've, I've heard from a lot of these guys. I mean, if you have a sit down, that ruling, a sit down is is very competitive. But that ruling is is sacrosanct. You you stick with that ruling, and that's why these guys want to win. You don't get the ruling and then well uh, you don't like the way that it goes so you, you just kill everybody involved i mean that was that's kind of where you see the difference between the sicilian mafia and how the american mafia work is is there is a sense of i don't know about rule of law but there is a sense that there has to be order whereas like you've said in the sicilians it's it's well it's it's my honor and i don't i don't give a damn about money or anything else if my honor if I, if my honor has been slighted, then I'm I'm just I'm going to go to the mattresses and and I don't I don't care about anything. These guys are bad, uh, uh, and 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 this caused this whole thing here caused a a, a real kerfuffle, shall we say? It's, it's a real interesting word. <laughs> Manzella, who was Balamente's boss, they strike at him first. They, there was another family, a La Barbara family struck at uh, Manzella first with a huge car bomb. They said that they found pieces of his body stuck up in trees hundreds of feet away from the crater. You know, they're, they're bad. They're bad on these huge Do them in public, bombs, in uh, public and all, on. yeah. We're, we're talking about the, the famous anti-mafia judge, Giovanni uh, Falcone, and they, they used a huge bomb to blow him. Yeah, they don't care about the collateral damage over there. Right. Somebody creates another bomb that's kind of overkill, and on June the 30th, 1963, an unknown caller calls the uh, local Italian police uh, in Sicily about a car bomb that's sitting there. And, and supposedly it's to kill another boss named Salvatore Greco. And it's, it's in, in revenge for the last bombing. Well, this is a huge car bomb and, and the local Carabini try to defuse it. Don't try to defuse a bomb. <laughs> Although that this one, I don't know what they would have done. It exploded no. and killed seven police officers in Siraculi, which is a uh, Siraculi was a suburb of Palermo. God, this became known as the Siraculi massacre. People were outraged. It 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 made the local people turn on the mafia, 
whereas they maybe would put up with a lot or just turn a blind eye. They have this thing. I, you know, right now we've got this uh, quarantine going on over in Sicily or over in Italy, and and they say they are asking people to not practice this tradition they have of trying to avoid whatever the government wants you to do in any way. If it's a small thing, and there's not a big uh, a, a <laughs> penalty for it, and maybe not going to jail. You just always try to avoid whatever the central government wants you to do, and they're asking them to to don't avoid this. Stay in your quarantine. <laughs> just this one yeah, this time. Is, this this one time. Just uh, don't, <laughs> don't try and this, keep it under the radar. After police officers were killed, you can imagine what happened, Catch it, Cam. I imagine. Yeah, they 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 just they unloaded. They they brought them all down. The whole whole house of guards came tumbling down. A lot of them went abroad, and and many of them to South America, and that's where Tommaso Bruchetta. He takes off and goes to Brazil and, and, and kind of becomes, that becomes his base for a while. Uh, he will operate around the world in different places, but mainly he'll be in and out of Brazil. Next week, we're going to take a lot closer look at his life. And this did disrupt the heroin trade to the United States, how uh, the, the law enforcement found out. Those guys, uh, several of them, Badalamente went to South America also. Uh, they kind of regrouped down there and, and just started going back into it, trying to get their smuggling routes back in kind of a different way because uh, you still got the... That's when they really changed to the Mid-East mid after uh, 1957. As you said, you know, the, the French are going out of Indochina and uh, they move into the Mid-East and, and set up these routes from Sicily to Sardinia, uh, Canada and then down to New York and and they're already connected up with the Bonanno family. You know, whenever whenever you see these big these like this this massacre you were just talking about, whenever you see anything like this and a bunch of cops get involved, that's that's when it that's when it ends, you know. Like uh I guess I was trying to think something comparable in America. I, I was the only thing like the Kansas City massacre or something. That was you know, the, the where the, the, the bank robbers were sort of like the heroes, the folk heroes, until they you know, there's a whole whole uh, you know, station full of, of cops and officers and things, and then sort of the tide changed. And I guess that's kind of how it was here. Is is we don't, didn't really think of the mafia as anything, but then once there's a big wipeout of, of police and legitimate people, then the tide sort of changes. And like you said, it did shut things down for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a good, that's a good uh, uh, analogy. That's an analogous situation was the uh, Kansas City massacre where you killed I think two Kansas City policemen and a. Uh, uh, FBI agent, uh, so uh, I mean, uh, the shit hit the fan, as they yeah. say, and they were popping these guys everywhere. They were mm -hmm. going after them, and people weren't hiding them anymore like they they once did. Because uh, even even the uh, the uh, citizens that might normally look at these guys as some kind of Robin Hoods or something were were not going to put up with it anymore. And, and that was really the beginning yeah. of the end. By 1935, they were all dead. All of yeah. them were dead. All dead, yeah. So I mean, I guess that's I guess that's kind of a, a the same as what happened with this first mob war. As long as they're sort of keeping it amongst themselves and you know keeping us out of it, it's just the mafia. But then you know once you start killing cops and people, that's Bonnie it. Bonnie Clyde situation. You know they 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 killed two Texas state troopers just before that last ambush, and uh, yeah, all they did was uh, they caught them in that mm -hmm. ambush in that kill zone and just opened up on them with. Uh, uh, BARs and shotguns and and they didn't even you know uh, yeah in that one movie that was on Netflix they kind of acted like they flagged them down the highway tried they were going to flag them down they the highwayman yeah down. I can promise you that we had an, we had an FBI agent get killed it was actually turned out it was a street crime in the uh, 70s here in Kansas City uh, and I tell you what you talk about we didn't know why he got killed he was in town from out of town on another case. I can't. It wasn't a big case, I don't think, but uh, um, he just a street crime. Just some street kid tried to rob him as he walked back. He'd been downtown at a, uh, a, a restaurant or something or a bar a little bit late in the evening. He was walking back by himself to his hotel, and they tried to rob him on the street, and and he ended up getting killed. I don't know if he tried to pull his gun or what happened, but boy, I tell you what, <laughs> I have uh, the FBI. They pulled out all stops. I. I I'd hate to imagine how much money they spent mm -hmm. on that investigation. It lasted about three days, four days, and, and they were so angry they wouldn't really even work with us. They, they, and and, and the homicide were no, at it's each personal. Other's throats. The homicide squad were at each other's throats, uh, trying to get clues and not tell the other one because that was personal for those agents. 
I happened to be I happened to be <laughs> up their office during that time, and, and in yeah. one hallway, there was about ten big boxes, and this was this was just when personal computers were starting to to uh, get used by people. It was like these were all brand new personal computers. That I tell you what, as soon as this thing hit, anything they wanted, they got. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So anyhow, this is uh, this kind of gets us up to uh, when the Pizza Connection starts. That's how, that's kind of the, the history, I'd say, uh, uh, of how these guys came together and, and how they, you know, started to, to do this thing together that would become the Pizza Connection case. Yeah, heroin was kind of kind of became big business, and you know they finally got real organized. We'll right, and the old connections—that's always important to me. How did these guys mm-hmm. end up together? You know, and you go you go yeah. look back, you see they're at the same meetings. You know, uh, Bottlemente and Bruschetta, and he'll verify a lot of this later on. They're at the same meeting with Bonanno and Gambino and Carmine Galente back in 1957, and then all of a sudden yeah. they end up with this huge heroin conspiracy uh, 20 years later. So it started way back then. So I always appreciate the history of things and how uh, it came to be. Now, during those days, Italian law enforcement did not take them all that seriously uh, before this massacre. And the FBI found a, an old 1963 report that the Italian police had, had kept, kind of, you know, confidential, and and they they learned a lot of this about the con, the existence of a commission. And uh, that there were six bosses from Palermo, and there are nine other bosses from the rest of the small towns around uh, uh, Sicily. So if you think about it, that's uh, that's like six, nine, and that's like fifteen separate little families there in Sicily. And and uh, Sicily's a small place too. It's not that big. (laughs) The mafia difference in the mafia in Sicily and the Camorra, which is more up in the mainland, up around Naples and uh, Neapolitan. Is the Camorra yeah. or a? Uh, they have these separate families, but neither one is in a pyramid over the other. The 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 Sicilian mafia has yeah. more of a pyramid structure, and that's why they like to have this boss of bosses and and uh, the commission, and and so they they work in more of a pyramid, and and so they start discovering all these things, uh, working with the Sicilian uh, and that's not particularly just Sicilian, but the Italian police and. Trying to put it together, it's a it's a hard fought deal to get them to trust the FBI, the FBI to trust them. A lot of corruption over there, also. Mm-hmm. But uh, during this time, uh, it'll start coming out that it is a hierarchical structure, like I said, with uh, you know a boss and underboss and and you know capos and and the order goes out from up on high and it and it gets carried out on the on the lower level just because the boss gave the order. Now, you know, everybody thinks that's, you know, well, that's the way it is. But, see, when you're trying to build a case on somebody, you want to convict somebody. Well, if you only find the guy that does the shooting, then you doesn't do anything. Or if you only take out the, the mid-level guy, then it doesn't do anything because you've yeah. already got this hierarchy set up. You have to attack it. You know, like shark's teeth, this next one's just going to flip into place. You got to attack it as a whole, and and to do that, you got to be able to prove that there's a hierarchical structure, and that when somebody up high gives an order, then it drifts down to some whoever ends up carrying it out. The actual crime on the street. Many times it was uh, Carmine Galente. Isn't doing any crime. He just tells people to do stuff. He just puts connections together, and this. Tommaso Bruschetta was one of the first guys. Uh, it was definitely the first guy in Sicily to come in and talk about this theory of organization. So then your prosecutor can take a guy like Tommaso, like we've done it in the United States with uh, uh, Ken Ito up in Chicago. He would go around to different trials and testify, this is how it works. Uh, there was a uh, Angelo Leonardo may have done that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Leonardo, his testimony, he talks about, yeah, in the East Coast, uh, you, I, I, you, can, you can read his exact statement. He talks about, in the East Coast, there's five families in New York, and my family's with the Genovese. But then in Chicago, they have their own commission where everybody... So, yeah, he breaks it down very well, talking about the, talking about the, 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 the 
families out west and how they have their own commission, but they also work with the East Coast. Com- uh, yeah, and Leonardo breaks it down just incredibly. If you can find a copy of that of his statement, it's it's very thorough, very thorough. I have to look that up. Mm-hmm. I've seen the I've seen the copy of the yeah. Uh, yeah, the script on what the uh, what what the script was, shall we say, when he was in, uh, sworn in as was made a made, was made a made guy. It's pretty interesting. He kind of wrote it down word for word. Uh, but uh, you know, get back to Sicily. Nobody believed any of this, and Tommaso Bruschetta came in, who we're going to deal with next week in, in his life. Uh, he told them about it, and they started using him as a storyteller, so they could get the bosses too and the intermediate. Managers and, and and the lower guys. I didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. I hadn't heard that. Uh, and take out the whole organization. And they even called this new thing that they never used before the Bruschetta theorem. So I had never heard that before. Yeah, the the, 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 the government and uh, Italian government gave this a name, the Bruschetta theorem. So that's. Uh, the theory of uh, of how the mob works in Tommaso Bruschetta. The hierarchical structure of the mob. No, no shit. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Tune in next week and we'll kind of talk a lot more about Tommaso Bruschetta. And don't forget there's going to be a, a movie called The Traitor and there's a really good uh, documentary about him out there. Our Godfather, yeah. That's a documentary, yeah. On Netflix. The Godfather, is that the name of it? Yeah. Our Godfather, that's the that's a documentary in it. Yeah, it's a great documentary. It's really interesting. And and The Traitor is the name of the uh, narrative movie that will be coming out. Have you heard anything more about that? I keep looking for it. No, I've I've not. I, I haven't, but I'm, I need to do some more uh, Google for it. Yeah. But, yeah, I did see that it was I coming. I Google for it. They were going to do a screening or, or a talk about it at the Mob Museum, the last I heard. And I think it had been released maybe like New York and L.A., you know, us in the Midwest. We don't get those things for a long time many times. If we Sometimes we never get movies. So uh, go ahead, Cam. You got anything to add about? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm good. I'm just, I, I, it's, this is kind of like the skim trial, it reminds me. It's just how intricate these connections are and what a massive conspiracy was going on. And just, it's just really, things like this are really incredible when you, when you look at them in context of what, these criminal organizations were able to put together, kind of like with, with the skim that you dealt with years ago. It's just they, these massive tens of millions of dollars worth of, worth of goods and services being, being you know, misappropriated, and it's, it, it's, just, it, it's just a massive business they're, they're putting together. It's really interesting And to they me. keep everybody in line. They keep it moving. They keep yeah. it working. That's, and and these, are not, you know, these are not PhDs from, from Harvard or Yale. Yeah. These are just... Men with a lot of native intelligence, a lot of charisma, and and uh, uh, an ability to override their conscience. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's that last one that's important. <laughs> that's a kind way of putting that in. And, and that's very diplomatic. He's not a sociopath. Or, he just has an ability to override his conscience. Ability to override his Everything con- he learned in catechism right. school, he's able to override that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. I hadn't heard that. Let's wind this down. If folks, uh, one of you listeners out there, you know somebody that's a veteran, and, and you believe that you as a veteran, a former vet, uh, might have a problem that is connected to PTSD, and it's, it's connected to your service, which is going to be, uh, contact a local vet center or a vet hospital, VA hospital in your area, or there's a national hotline out there, uh, 1-800-273-8255, and be sure and press 1 uh, if you're a vet, or you can go to the VA, the government website that has a lot of really good resources, it's www.ptsd.va.gov. Uh, I appreciate it, uh, don't forget to uh, take a look at my website, and uh, subscribe to it. I'm never asking anybody to subscribe to it. Probably everybody that knows the podcast has already subscribed to it because you get in your email when this comes out and this podcast comes out, you get an email right to your 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 uh, inbox. And uh, on the website, you can make a donation, by the way. You can, if you get $25 or more, I'll give you any one of, either one of my movies or the book or the Kindle copy of the book. I'll get you a certificate to you can turn in for a Kindle copy of the book. Um, 
on the, on the other side, if you don't really want to go to the website or you happen to have your phone in your hand, you think of it, uh, and you got a Venmo app, hit me up on Venmo for a buck or two. Buy me a cup of coffee and uh, shot in the beer. Uh, it's Jinx Law. I got my Kansas City Mob Tour app. I got anything else I'm selling? <laughs> I can't think of anything. <laughs> I can't. I, you, I, I, you got your, you've got your hands full. No, I, I, I don't. I've got, I've got a few things I would like to sell. I'm just gonna, I got, I got to find the people to sell. I them know to. what you mean, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, Ken. Take care, Gary. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. So, uh, what do you think? We read that in quite a while. That's an hour. <laughs> well, hell, you know, it's 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 interesting, and it's and I, I think you know when we get to talking too, that's all. You know, gives me you know like I work I, I listen when I'm out in the garage working on the car. So I mean, you know, it's and I, like I was listening to you yesterday. I, I was listening to that show with uh, with uh, uh, Bill yesterday. Yeah. So it's. I, 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 I think it's good, you know, give people something to listen to while they're doing whatever, like they've told you, you know? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. Matter of fact, uh, Ben Ellickson was just complaining to me. I talked to him yesterday on the phone, and he was complaining about how all the, uh, all the movie stars and, and uh, uh, radio, uh, you know, stars and, uh, and other people, professionals, are getting into this podcast thing, and, and there's, it's hard to find one that's not real slick anymore. I hadn't. I've noticed that there are a lot of really slick ones out there. Nobody's doing the mafia. There's that one, the mafia, but and it's yeah. slick. Uh, uh, and they've gone out and found a lot of people to interview, but uh, but they don't deal with the stories like we do right. at all. It's, it's just, it, yeah, it's just it, an yeah. overview of, of each crime family, and, like the famous, yeah, like yeah. here's yeah, here's John Gotti, yeah, and yeah. here's yeah, but. Uh, there's nothing else out there like this one, but uh, he, he no, said he, no, he no. like he just runs mine all the time and goes back and listens to the old ones. Matter of fact, he even noted, pointed out that it's five years old this this uh, spring. <laughs> so no shit. Five years. This uh, I think maybe right now or at least by uh, April. I think it was in April uh, was the first one five years ago. Yeah, that's. You know, when I sometimes when I'm looking for topics, I try and go back and I and I look through because I li- I listen to you a lot. I mean, I, I work in the garage a lot and I listen I listen to it quite a bit. So, um, you know, you you've covered you've covered a lot that I you know I had never heard of that most people had never heard of. I mean, you're you're right in there. Okay, you, do you want to take time for this one? Sorry, three thirty. Do you have to go? Uh, I don't I don't have to go anywhere. Okay, well maybe this no. is Thomas Bruchette. We can probably do this. Uh, we won't talk bullshit quite so much. See, I don't have anything, do I? Let me just check my phone. I don't know. I don't. Nobody tried to. Let me grab a little bit. Uh, let me grab a little bit more uh, water. Me too. I'm gonna get something.